show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome if you are new here. What you are about to hear is a audio version of a astrology forecast that I shared to my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch, so you can also see it on video there. And this podcast is a place where I share both these forecasts as well as interview conversations with people that I find inspiring. astrology.com bringing you the astrology forecast for December 22nd to December 28th 2021. So we're closing out the year 2021 with a third and final exact square of the ongoing Saturn Uranus square. And this time asteroid Eros is in the mix conjunct Saturn. We have Venus conjunct Pluto and Capricorn and Jupiter entering Pisces. So quite a week to um, transition into 2022 with Jupiter and Pisces brings in a new layer of spiritual exploration, healing and opening. So the trumpets resound, the oceanic sensation ensues. This is profound and receiving all of that cosmic energy opens up a lot of awareness of where our vessels, our ships in the sea, you know, so to say, if we're going to keep the nautical kind of Pisces metaphor here, um, our vessels, our bodies, consciousness, etc., can, you know, where we can freely conduct, conduct energy versus where it gets stuck or lodged or blocked. When Jupiter last entered Pisces before retrograding back into Aquarius, I described it as kind of like a, a beautiful party scene. And are you out frolicking, you know, in the party, in the mix of it? Or are you in a tower looking at the party from afar and kind of seeing your energetic blocks to participating in the reverie? The Venus-Pluto conjunction and the Saturn-Eros conjunction, and Saturn and Eros are square Uranus, will each relate to how we negotiate boundaries in relationship to the fullest depth of our feeling. Boundaries and structures are like irrigation channels, showing where water or energy is enabled to flow and where it's not. Every person has an energetic system that includes channels and boundaries, places where we have capacity to receive and conduct energy and places where we are boundaried from receiving. At a pragmatic, literal level, one could analyze how time is spent in a day, for example. How much of it is allotted to what we truly value and what brings us alive? Where do we, at a structural level, invest time into something that feels burdensome or deadening? What is needing to give? At an energetic level, one could analyze how much space or capacity we have for certain moods, feelings, subtle qualities. Do we hold a lot of interior space for ruminating about what we find disgusting and distasteful? Do we notice where we have fear around what we desire the most and have a difficult time receiving it? Do we visualize and open new pathways in our imagination and open our hearts to possibilities? 
And I pose these questions not from like a moral standpoint of say, don't invest your energy in ruminating on what disgusts you. Like that could be a a worthy route of inquiry, but to be self-aware about our channels of irrigation, our channels of where we are allowing energy to flow versus where we don't, and to have some creative agency in how we build and shift these channels. I kind of see like the um, staircases in like the Harry Potter movies that like move um, connecting different doorways at different times and kind of like that internal system of where we are conducting energy and where we're not. And that's a deeper level of self-awareness. Um, you know, what am I giving my attention to? What energies am I indulging in versus where do I have boundaries? Where do we have choice within that? The Saturn-Uranus square brings up confronting tensions and in the regard of how our current paradigm, both in the way that we think and concretely live our lives, where this paradigm has become a limitation or has reached a certain crisis point. The unique promise of this moment though is that of the breakthrough in consciousness, not necessarily just making new choices related to a current impasse, but encountering entirely new ways of seeing the impasse and therefore entirely new ways of relating to reality. The Eros activation and Venus-Pluto conjunction brings this question back to aliveness, how the ways we are participating in reality facilitate our primal aliveness or doesn't. I'm always catching typos in here. <laughs> okay, Eros. Eros is both power and responsibility. For when we know the erotic, we gain energy, which is power. But we also become initiates on the path of holding capacity for Eros, how we channel and live with it. Right? It's a lot to hold. It's a lot of sensation. Um, has it challenged you to hold your passion, you know, to be in touch with your deepest passions and deepest feelings, or does it become overwhelming, right? So this level of awareness to our sensation can prevent us from living adult life or signing on board to life situations that drain our very being, like our primal body won't allow it. But it calls us to the task, you know, of building a resonant life and applying our erotic wisdom skillfully, right? Like if I've touched this deepest gnosis inside of myself, how am I going to carry that forth in how I live my life? This level of awareness of our power calls us to the task of meaningfully wielding it. And this is an epic call. So here's our week in more detail. December 23rd, 2021, Saturn in 11 degrees of Aquarius, squares Uranus, retrograde in 11 degrees of Taurus at 11.16 p.m. Pacific. And this is the last exact Saturn-Uranus square, the transit that has been characterizing 2021. It will stay in orb through 2022. This time, asteroid Eros is, in, is three degrees away from Saturn in 14 degrees of Aquarius, Eros 14. 
So this Saturn-Uranus square relates to breakthroughs and revolutions in paradigm and the way society is structured, as well as major conflict or impasse therein. The way families, businesses, and institutions have had to adjust and respond to the pandemic and the consequences of the pandemic is an example of global crisis related to this very square. The last quarter square is also denoted as a crisis in consciousness. With the last quarter phase, innovative thinking that is truly timeless or free of the constraints of the previous paradigm is often called for. At a personal level, the Saturn-Uranus square can relate to tensions within our family systems, relationships or relationship patterns, career, just to name a few, like any system really, um, tensions within these systems that initiate some process of paradigmatic shift. Right. Like say someone who is like truly, you know, in their being, in their nature, polyamorous, for example, and they've been working really hard to live a more monogamous life. And what kind of tension or impasse is that creating where kind of breaking out of that paradigm? Right. And it could go the other way. Someone could be living a polyamorous life, but really their nature or the deeper thing needed is monogamy. And that kind of paradigmatic tension is opening up. That's just a a pretty basic example, but it can get increasingly nuanced or complex or personalized in terms of what kind of system or paradigm we're playing out, what kind of personal pattern and where it's reaching um, a breaking point where it's like this isn't actually the correct paradigm. Right. And in. Um, I forget the book's title, Thomas Kuhn, I think, about um, paradigm shift and scientific revolution or something like that. There was this um, realization eventually that within like science, within worldviews, that a paradigm will kind of fit, you know, the day, fit a moment in time. And eventually new information is coming forth that can't fit into that paradigmatic view. And so there's a tension to the paradigm and then a new paradigm is formed. And so that happens collectively. That happens in government. It happens in academics and science. And it happens in our personal lives, too. Like we're we're living a kind of lifestyle or living an ethos until you know, our inner nature or like the experiences that are coming forth don't fit into that box anymore. And there's this kind of need to break out of that box. Eros relates to our primal erotic life force. Eros actually has a huge relationship with Saturn as I've explored in Eros research that I've done, corresponding with how we either support the erotic, Saturn, facilitate, and allow the erotic to influence our standards, also a Saturn concept, or how we will block and deny the erotic, right? Saturn is always kind of that, um, at least I see it that way, like it's always that choice of facilitating or restricting. And so our values, for example, we facilitate them by giving them time and space and showing up for them over and over again and kind of conditioning them into our lives. So if we really value Eros and value the things that bring us most alive, it's like devoting time and space to that, right? Um, whereas there can be a sense of 
the way that I looked at Eros and Saturn was through the context of heartbreak and how after heartbreak, there's this process of the potential for denial and shutdown of like, I'll never have that kind of love again. You know, it was a one-time thing or that person was so special or this can never be recreated. I'm going to, I can't stay open. I'm going to shut down. Right. Versus I touch something that I've never touched before in this union with this other person. And I no longer um, can go to that place with that other, but where can I find and kind of integrate that within myself? And so, for example, to, to study Tantra or something or study relationship or pursue, pursue avenues in life that awaken us to that level of joy or fulfillment again in a new and different way. And, the same can be said also for like psychedelic experiences, like having a huge experience, a huge opening. And then once coming down from the experience, figuring out what were the insights, what did I awaken to and how can I integrate that into my daily life? And the latter, the integration can be less sexy and glamorous, you know, by some perspective than that amazing mountaintop spiritual awakening or erotic awakening moment. So the erotic can be directly sexual. It can also be our most profound experiences of aliveness and the depth of our sensations. Young love is a great example or tension here to explore for the energetics of Eros and Saturn. Many people's first loves are extremely dramatic. I know mine were. Feelings that young people don't even know how to fully hold Saturn yet. It's coursing through their systems. Eros is often projected onto the beloved in that way. You know, the opening that is felt through the encounter is felt as only possible because of that other. A first heartbreak can be profoundly devastating when the other who represented Eros here is no longer available. At this point, a person might harden and close off to life for a time, Saturn, or work to integrate the experience, also Saturn. Saturn Uranus as a transit can be producing shocking events that destabilize the equilibrium. You know, the pandemic is a collective example, but we've been in it for a bit. So it in terms of our personal lives right now, I mean, thinking about if there's anything lately that has felt disruptive um, and kind of, you know, like shaking the system because Saturn is about stabilization and, you know, things being put together and um, structured. And Uranus is like breaking free from that. So it has kind of like a shaky, earthquakey kind of energy to it. And so, you know, when I think about like my own equilibrium and then shocks to that equilibrium, that kind of like integrating the reverberations of that aftershock is kind of what I'm feeling for the Saturn Uranus square. So some of these shocks and disruptions can reveal actually where we are not fragile, right? Like something happened that feels very dramatic and yet it's also showing us our stamina or capacity. Some shocks can even enliven us and wake us up, you know? Um, Eros here might speak to that as well. So it's not necessarily going to be about the event itself, but how we choose to respond to it. 
you know, I'm remembering a time when I was in high school that I, um, you know, was microwaving this like wax (laughs) to wax myself with, but I, um, didn't check it, um, with my hand before just pulling it out of the microwave. And it was so, it was scalding hot and I dropped it and the wax went everywhere. Um, and I got burned and it was super painful, but it didn't, um, it didn't get on my face, which I was very grateful for the scars went away, but I remembered that I had kind of approached the microwave, approached this wax in this kind of lackadaisical, you know, not very awake way. And then suddenly this event was so jarring, right? And it kind of called me to attention. And while that's a, you know, unpleasant and somewhat benign example as well, you know, certain things like relationally, like we, you know, someone does something that's kind of out of the expected and it shakes us, you know, or, um, there's a destabilizing event at work or something like that, where we have a strange dream that rattles us or something. It's that sense of, um, how is the awakener kind of confronting the status quo, um, in any given arena of life? Consider heartbreak or disappointment here as well. Conventionally, these are not often included in the descriptions um, of the erotic, but the erotic is about aliveness and our full depth and range of feelings. So that's going to include everything. The places we numb off to or experiences we seek to control and prevent can essentially become the places we block as opposed to facilitate the erotic. Eros, you know, Cupid would literally pierce individuals with magic arrows that inspired them to profound feeling. Being struck by Cupid's bow has a ferocity to it. When we are overtaken with deep feeling, it can range from the most exquisite to the most agonizing of sensation. Again, another shock, another destabilizing thing to our equilibrium to be pierced by Eros bow. Pay attention to where your experience or inner world is shaking and awakening you and where there are openings here to contact the erotic. What does it take to more deeply feel and allow yourself to receive the pleasure that is available? What does it take to allow yourself to feel the emotions you'd prefer to wall yourself off to? Right? Sometimes it's just our paradigm, right? Like we have certain emotions and certain aspects of our inner life that we have labeled as bad and to be avoided at all costs, right? And so there's all this resistance and turmoil. But when there's a paradigmatic shift of like everything is an experience, like every emotion or, um, you know, every dimension of my being is something to be in relationship with. Um, not that we don't practice kind of boundaries around you know, say we have like inner parts and like these different kind of parts of our psyche. It's like, we are not just letting one drive and like run the whole show necessarily, like say our inner saboteur or something. It's like, we might be in relationship with that part of ourselves and acknowledge it, but it's not about just letting it like spill out. Right. But that sense that if it's all us. And if we have that desire to be intimate with ourselves and with life, 
then sometimes even having like a a difficult experience going to the journal to write about it and process it can actually be exciting of like, this is a moment of awakening. Like I get to awaken in this moment as opposed to this is this terrible thing. Right. Um, So pay attention to those kind of shifts in paradigm internally that could be arising. So one reason we block ourselves off from challenging emotions is that we don't feel we can handle them. It is a different experience to be so depressed that we can't get off the couch or we engage some addiction in a hypnotic numbing trance versus to be actually alive in the difficult emotion. Sometimes we simply make the transitional choice to notice we are numbing and decide to open up to greater feeling and movement of energy. With Saturn in Aquarius and Uranus in Taurus, friendship, Aquarius, and self-esteem, Taurus, come to mind. Consider if there are breakthroughs to be had in the way you show up for yourself as your own friend. How might, you, how might that concept resource you to move through difficult and crunchy moments? And then on December 25th, Venus retrograde and 25 degrees of Capricorn will conjunct Pluto and 25 degrees of Capricorn at 4.02 a.m. And this transit is detailed in the Venus retrograde and Capricorn in-depth guide that I'm sharing with mailing list subscribers. So you can click the link in the notes um, to sign up for my mailing list and immediately get that detailed like 14 page Venus retrograde guide emailed to you. I also want to announce here that Carla Palomino and I are hosting an astrological embodiment ceremony called Heart and Bone to explore this transit and Venus retrograde in this sign. So Carla Palomino is an embodiment alchemist, a dear friend of mine, um, and we're going to be exploring through transmission and movement the energetics of Venus in Capricorn. You know, Venus retrograde, it's like a a journey of the heart and retrograde is about like reflection and revisiting Capricorn can relate to boundaries. So what about the ways the heart is boundaried or guarded and kind of peeling back some of those layers or practicing a de-armoring of the heart is something that we're tuning into for heart and bone. So I want to share a channeled poem for heart and bone called the mystery behind the guard you can also, you know, take it as a transmission for this Venus-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn. A storm surrounds the heart, this vital center, archetypal royalty, the center of being, courage, devotion, loyalty, affection. There is a storm and the storm meets the gate. How much resource all the royal guards will be expended here to protect from life penetrating the guardian gate. An inner trembling resists pain from the outside and in the inside. Anything but this. And there is a whisper at the back of the heart that utters. Open this seal that lines the back wall. This storminess is inside of you. Let it pour out from the back seal. Relax your trembling guards. Feel your storm pour out into your bones, your solar plexus, your pelvic bowl. Feel it purify and awaken you. Can you feel that spacious nothingness? No pain, not yet relief, just profound space disarming the struggle. 
like the black starriness of night, a faint twinkling sense of possibility growing. The eyes soften and sink back inside. The aperture is widened. I am not just the wall, the guard, the gate. I am the mystery that lies beyond them, mysterious even to me. And in the darkness of that mystery, the mystery bears a fire, self-lit, self-sustaining. It is a more profound judge than the guard. It relies not on commands, protocol, and willpower alone, but is itself a drumming awakener of truth, sturdy in the seat of royalty, breathing with the sponginess of the bones. The drum resounds. I can drink from this cup. I can drink from the nectar of life. I can hold inevitable hardship and grief and still be unamused by unnecessary suffering. I can drink from the well of fully realized desire and challenge everything I've ever known. Hear my rhythm speed, slow, open. Drop open into the vital waters, spinning the will to live, inspiring open previously locked chambers. Layer, 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 release. What would it mean to not be afraid of life, to feel Eros arrow and the cosmos rush right through it? This ceremony is going to be really powerful. I'm going to leave the link in the notes as well to sign up for Heart and Bone. It's happening December 26th, a day after this exact conjunction of Venus and Pluto. The replay will be available to those who sign up. And I'm so excited to go on that journey with you. And also on December 25th, Jupiter and 29 degrees of Aquarius will square Ceres retrograde in 29 degrees of Taurus at 10.13 a.m. This transit could relate to the intersection of higher level insight, Jupiter and Aquarius, about what nurtures and sustains us, Ceres and Taurus. If the vision comes first, we might apply the idea. This could be like having an exciting idea in the mind's eye and then carrying it out and feeling fed, feeling nourished by that. Alternately, the direct experience of being with what nurtures us will shift the mind. Have you watched the quality of your thoughts change when you were at a hot spring or had your feet directly in the dirt? This transit offers a heightened awareness of the mind-body connection as well as how the nervous system and the experience of genius correspond with somatics. December 26th, we have Mercury in 20 degrees of Capricorn, sextile Neptune in 20 degrees of Pisces. Um, I didn't delineate that one, but I love the sextile energy between Capricorn and Pisces. To me, it feels like the dreamy architect, like the the film director, you know, the person who um, can materialize a dream. So Mercury sextile Neptune can be supportive for that kind of um, dream work, visualizing, um, imagining, and also you know, imagining the steps or actually, um, taking steps to 
to carry out a plan that is inspired. Then December 28th, Jupiter enters Pisces at 8.10 p.m. Pacific. We had a preview of this transit from May 13th to July 28th, 2021, if you think back to that time, the summer. Jupiter will enter Aries on May 10th, 2022, and retrograde back into Pisces October 28th, 2022, finally leaving Pisces on December 20th, 2022. So we'll have another um, another time with Jupiter and Pisces briefly. Jupiter's stay in Pisces will also see a conjunction to Neptune and Pisces exact on April 12th, 2022. So this is a big... Um, defining transit of 2022, this Jupiter-Neptune conjunction, which I think is just going to be um, so spiritualizing, so beautiful, right? And um, so oceanic and a beautiful time for kind of spiritual development, intuitive development, healing. Um, you know, and healing can be you know, Reiki or something, you know, like that, something very direct healing could also be spending time playing in the water, um, or being outdoors, doing things that, um, bring you to a place of peace, um, and a connection with beauty or a connection with, you know, feeling connected to source, however that looks for you. So what I wrote here, Jupiter in Pisces is a transit of emotional and spiritual healing. Jupiter in Pisces has a profound oceanic field. It is a big, merging, dissolving, unifying energy. People seeking to expand their spiritual connection, direct relationship with spirit, psychic clairvoyant opening, or the like, may find this transit amplifying ease and abundance around spiritual expansion. You know, and taking a cue from the traditional astrology world where um, planets in domicile, you know, kind of have more resources. And so Jupiter in traditional astrology is at home in Pisces as well as Sagittarius. And so it goes that like the things that Jupiter governs over, like Jupiter has more resources to to support those things. And so for things like travel or expansion or, you know, spiritual exploration, there's a greater ease around those things. Things like optimism, seeing a higher perspective, you know, can also become easier. And one can connect with that archetype under any sky, right? Like one can develop that kind of fortitude of optimism within themselves. But then there's these seasons of life where it feels like our prayers are answered quicker or um, the path just seems to open up. And Jupiter and Pisces kind of has that very promising energy to it in terms of there's a lot of ease around Jupiter topics. Remembering that Pisces also relates to illusion and the Maya, part of spiritual development is also about discernment. An excess of Jupiter and Pisces could just be about being lost in the sauce, like in the kind of the dream without, you know, ground. 
But at a higher level of engagement and wisdom, it may also be a time of realizing where we get carried away in illusion. Sometimes these disillusionments are also profoundly spiritualizing and relieving because we get to let go of the fog that has separated us from our truer nature and the truer connection we have with reality, right? Like, I love the positive disillusionments, right? Like, where we realize that something that we've believed for years is like not actually true, right? And one of the ways that um, this can show up is like an idea that's very painful, right? And it, it sticks in us as like, there's so much pain and anguish around it. And either we kind of stop the story there Or there's like a deeper unfolding of the story where it's like that painful thought, that kind of veil lifts and we see another truth behind it. And sometimes it's not just a matter of an instant change of mind or an instant change of perspective, like those miracles exist, but sometimes it's also about going on a journey, you know, or contacting maybe a piece of information or an experience that awakens us to a possibility that kind of lifts that, um, that veil. And so when I think about disillusionment, sometimes it has that air to it of like something that I believed in and cherished. Like I grieve that I am no longer with that illusion. Right. But negative dreams, nightmares can also lift, um, And those kind of disillusionments really feel like blessings. And what I've what I've realized from disillusionment after disillusionment after disillusionment is like it's part of the spiritual path. It's like that um, lifting of veils, the clearing of the fog and that even a painful disillusionment is a blessing in disguise um, in the sense that it's clearing away the fog that is obscuring us from a truer nature. And there's just these fluctuations in terms of moments that awakening is beautiful and feels good. And when awakening is painful, but I think that if we, um, have a sense of faith in that overall process that we can continue to kind of be open to that expanded sense of awareness and that realization of where we're holding illusion, One thing we may learn or seek to learn during this transit is how to dream. So literally this could be like keeping a dream journal and getting into dream philosophy and things like that. Or we could be talking more generally, like how to imagine, like how to enact the imagination. The act of dreaming, seeing more than what already exists is a creative, expansive, visionary act. Learning how to dream could involve differentiating between getting lost in the fantasy versus generative dreaming, where we explore other realms of consciousness and weave those visions into reality. Dreaming is a collective act we all participate in, but the personal path of how we dream as individuals is a unique exploration to tap into. Developing our spiritual discernment and dreaming skill means we are learning how we dream, where we tend to get lost, where we have space to develop, and what our unique capacities are. You know, as manifestation and manifestation teachings have been a really big part of my life and creativity, something that I noticed a lot of these teachings 
are about are kind of like learning how to see beyond particular circumstances in terms of not getting fixated on emotionally identifying with them or seeing them as all that there is and seeing like the vision beyond that. And of course, along that path, there is room for oversight and error, you know, not being with something, overlooking it, right? And there's also the capacity to to be timeless, you know, to be free, to see like, this may be the, the moment that I'm in, my life concretely looks like this, but I have a bigger dream of what it could be. And by aspiring toward that, actually shaping a trajectory that is larger than our life currently is. And so when I say learning how to dream, it's like, I think that when we engage dream work and we engage having a vision and actually pursuing a vision that we're learning kind of how to have our footing in that realm of having, you know, the classic Pisces one foot in reality and one foot in the dream. That's a skill and learning how we walk that path and, you know, hold that dynamic tension between dream and reality is deeply personal, I think. Um, and yet also collective, right? Like sharing, um, sharing our visions with other people creates a co-dreaming process. Um, and so for Jupiter and Pisces, I'm just thinking about kind of like what it means to get together for celebration or ritual or kind of play, you know, creating an opportunity, um, a communal opportunity and, you know, or a ritual space and seeing what it's like to co-dream with other people. I love, you know, Plato's Symposium just as an example, it's like a gathering one night where they're all making speeches about Eros, I think it is actually, or about love. I'm a little bit um, unsure, but it's either love or Eros, but they're competing to give these speeches. And so imagine, you know, that's kind of a time, you know, and a culture where like rhetoric and public speaking was so um, commonly focused on. But imagine getting together with your friends and each as a game coming up with a speech about the nature of love, <laughs> right? Like that is a much different kind of night than just getting together and, you know, how's it going? You know, like what's new in your life? Like that kind of sense of co-creating a dream of like tonight we are going to envision the divine properties of love you know like there's a um a loftiness and like a an exalted quality i think to that and thinking about how um you know i love photographs for example and taking selfies or getting professional photos taken of me because it's a way that i've imagined and co like co-created my um, like envisioned identity with my physicality in some sense, like fashion, you know, or the, the image of the photograph has been a way of dreaming up my, um, my persona. And even that is a craft in terms of not getting lost in the persona or identifying with it or having a persona that's even separate from who I am. But that sense of I am a dream. My life is a dream. What would I like to dream of myself today? Right. And keeping that aligned with the cosmos and the way that truth is flooding, you know, down into my crown and through me and also up through my root and out. Like these are 
very subtle, very expansive explorations around what it means to to see life for more than what it appears to be and where we can create and be super generative with that and how we can become discerning about our own capacity for illusion. So I'm going to leave it at that. And I forgot to say at the beginning to please like this video, comment, let me know what you thought, what resonated with you. Um, the links for Heart and Bone and the Venus Retrograde Guide are down below. And I'll see you next time.